if I can figure out how to do it, um, I will um, uh, put a link to, to that uh, in the uh, podcast um, area. All right, so uh, as Dad says, we are uh, starting an introduction um, to First Samuel, and I'm going to uh, go over a little bit of what uh, Dad gave us uh, the overview. Um, all right, <clears throat> where to start? Uh, let's start with some of the basics. So whenever, um, like even if you look at the introduction to your Bible, a lot of times there will be a section at the start of every book that gives you some summary information. Many of you, okay. many of you uh, probably have a study Bible that, that does some of that. And uh, you'll find some of the things that Dad mentioned. Um, uh, first and Second Samuel, um, basically history books. Um, uh, back <clears throat> uh, in the, the Hebrew Bible, um, it was all one book. And then when the Greeks did their version of the Old Testament, um, it, got, it got subdivided, and then that division kind of carried forward uh, to what we have today. So originally they were all one book. Um, and uh, who wrote Samuel? Um, they're not sure uh, exactly, but it's, it seems to be a compilation of... Uh, the writings from several prophets. Um, First Chronicles um, chapter 29 has this verse. It says, Now the acts of King David from first to last are written in Chronicles of Samuel the seer, the Chronicles of Nathan the prophet, and the Chronicles of Gad the seer, with accounts of all his rule and his might and of the circumstances that came upon him and upon Israel and upon all the kingdoms and the countries. So, as best they can tell, the writer of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel had access to the writings from these three main prophets, uh, Samuel, um, Nathan, and Gad, and probably put all that together in the form of a history, uh, perhaps while Israel was in exile in Babylon. Um, there are some external dates that uh, kind of give the, the smart people uh, reason to believe that, that that's about right. So in terms of world history, um, 1100 B.C. is kind of the time frame that we're talking about. So around 1100 is the tail end of the time of the judges. Uh, Samuel was probably born in 1070, 10-something, and then it progresses forward from there. So uh, in the rest of the world, this is when like the Greek Trojan Wars were happening. Um, uh, some of the latter dynasties of um, Egypt were going on. Um, several of the Chinese dy dynasties were in full bloom. Uh, uh, some conquest of Europe was starting to happen. Um, uh, some of the earliest settlements of Spain, that sort of thing. So. Uh, a lot was kind of starting to build up in the world, um, even though it doesn't necessarily correlate archaeologically. This is called the early Iron Age, for what that's worth. Um, so um, 
so a long time ago, uh, over 3,000 years, uh, this, is, this is what was going on. Now, the other thing <clears throat> that was going on in the world is the, the, uh, the peoples uh, of the Mediterranean um, uh, the, uh, that were you know, seafaring people um, in Greece and Crete and all those areas, um, they were a big deal back then. And they were actually, you know, if you picture that classic Mediterranean uh, sea view where Israel's on the right and Egypt's on the bottom and Asia Minor and, and Greece and Italy and everything are up here, these seafaring peoples were, were moving to the east and to the south and they were starting to populate the coast of what we would think of as Palestine and also they were starting to bother Egypt as well. And they would, you know, come and establish settlements and um, uh, and get a foothold, so to speak, on those territories. Uh, these were the ancestors, those people that that landed on that coast of Palestine. These were the ancestors of the Philistines. And we'll hear a lot about the Philistines uh, in Samuel. Um, I guess it'd be reasonable to to look back. Uh, Dad mentioned um, Joshua. So let's think back. What was the big deal with Joshua? Joshua was the person that they had made it to the edge of the promised land under Moses' direction, right? And they're there on the east side of the Jordan, and they're looking toward the, the west, toward the promised land, and God says, I'm going to give you this land. And so Joshua leads the people of Israel into the promised land, and they start to wipe out all these areas. <clears throat> now, what was the instruction? Remember the instruction? There were a couple of them, but one of the big deals was take no prisoners, right? Uh, clear these people out, and I mean clear them out. Well, of course, did they do that? No. Um, what was the other big thing they were told not to do? There were two other big things. Don't worship their gods and don't marry their women, right? Um, those things will mess you up. Well, of course, we know that that's not what they did. So if you turn to Joshua chapter 24, uh, many of you know this famous verse um, where Joshua uh, kind of brings forth the, the covenant uh, again, <clears throat> and this is this big verse about uh, choose uh, who you will serve, right? Uh, real quickly, I'll read verse 1. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, some of the elders, the head, the judges, etc. They presented themselves before God, and Joshua says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your father lived beyond the Euphrates, and so forth. And he recounts what happened with Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and so forth. And verse 5, and I sent Moses and Aaron and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it and then I brought you out and I brought you out and he talks about the Red Sea and so forth uh, you lived in the wilderness a long time he goes through all this and then he says um, in verse 11 and you went over the Jordan, came to Jericho and I delivered you out of his hand I'm sorry uh, came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, so many of theseites, and I gave them into your hand, 
and I sent the hornet before you, which showed them out before you, and so forth. And I, verse 13, and I gave you a land on which you had not labored in cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them, you eat the fruit of the vineyards and the olive orchards that you did not plant. So, remember, um, all of Palestine is basically territory from Colombia to Charlotte. And yet, how many of these various tribes and clans and stuff were in there? So this was a very fragmented area, lots of people laying claim to what was going on. And so when, when God brought the Israelites there and, and empowered them to clean house, this was the opportunity to solidify all of that territory under a single rule. Well, verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now, how long was this after they had been in Egypt? A long time. It was 40 years, right, in the wilderness just to get to the promised land. And now they've gone through all this conquest. And they're still serving the gods back in Egypt. This is in spite of the whole golden calf thing, right? Again, he's saying, put away the gods that your fathers served before the, beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now, <clears throat> if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether it's the God your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then, of course, far be it that we should serve anyone but God. They go through this whole thing. Verse 19, he says, But you're not able to serve the Lord, for he's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. And if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and do harm and consume you after having done you good. So no, we will serve the Lord. And he says, You are witnesses against yourself that you've chosen the Lord to serve him. And once again, he says, verse 23, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord. They said, yes, we will do it. Well, <clears throat> so think about it. The land is still fragmented. They've had lots of conquest. They are pretty much in charge of this territory now. But because they didn't follow the rules, there's still these, because these various tribes that they were fighting against weren't fully vanquished, well, what do they do? They regroup, they try to come back at them, and that's what is happening when the judges start. So if you turn over from Joshua just a page or two, there's this, there's this time frame where they're supposed to like, uh, they've, they've pretty much established things, now they've got to go out and, and finish cleaning the house. And it beginning in chapter 1, verse 27, it keeps going through all the you know the Manasseh didn't drive out the inhabitants of blah 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 and Ephraim didn't drive out the Canaanites and Zebulun didn't drive out the inhabitants of Kitron and so forth all the people that didn't do what they were supposed to do Joshua dies and so forth Chapter 2, verse 11 of the Judges. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. 
And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger, and they abandoned the Lord. Now, this was not that long after they had said, oh, my gosh, we're going to serve the Lord. Joshua says, choose who you're going to serve. They said, we will serve the Lord. He said, okay, you're going to be witnesses against yourself. And here they are just a few years later, and they're gone. Verse 16, then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. And this was this cycle that, that Dad was talking about, where they get themselves in a bind. Um, they need divine help to get out of their predicament. God sends a judge, and there's usually some victory, and then they fall back in their whole ways. This goes on for close to 400 years, 300-something years, is what's going on with the judges. And then toward the very end, as we start to lead into 1 Samuel, we hear about the next to the last judge, who's Eli, and we'll hear about how his family gets corrupt, and then we'll hear about the final judge, who is Samuel. All right, so that's kind of the historical background. The big theme of 1 Samuel, the big thing that happens is you move from, if you think about how did God deal with Adam, it was walking in the cool of the day, right? It was a direct communication with Adam. How did God deal with Abraham and Isaac and all the patriarchs? It was usually direct communication. God told Abraham where to go and so forth. Then you have Egypt, and now you have Moses. So now Moses is dealing with this group of people. So now the people are interacting with God through this intermediary Moses, right? Uh, kind of the prototypical prophet, the leader. Now you have things are fragmented. You've got the time of the judges, and they have devolved into just all the different tribes. So not only... Do you have all these, you know, Canaanites and Philistines and all these other tribes attacking them? Now those 12 tribes that made up the nation of Israel, now they're getting fragmented. And if, if you've been studying in Judges, when it gets close to the end, it's civil war. There's some, this one tribe, it's a horrible story if you haven't read it. The tribe of Benjamin does some horrible stuff, and now it's, you know, they're fighting amongst themselves. And that famous verse at the end of Judges chapter 21 in those days there was no king in Israel everyone did right in his own eyes so that's never good right when everybody's doing their own thing and everything everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes they think they're right everybody thinks they're right does that sound familiar <laughs> nowadays all you need is a computer or a phone and you can blast out to the world that you're right. Right? That's all it takes. You don't have to be thoughtful about it. You don't have to win somebody's approval to get published. You can just put it out there and say that you're right. Um, that doesn't make it so, of course, but everyone was doing right in their own eyes. 
it had been 350 or so years from when they told Joshua, no, we really mean it. We're going to serve the Lord. It was about 400 years ago, 1620, almost exactly 400 years, when the pilgrims came over. And remember one of the main reasons that the pilgrims came over? I've talked about this before. Because they didn't like the influence that the culture was having on their children. And they wanted to be able to, you know, bring them up in the way they should be, away from those ungodly influences so they could raise them in service to God. So a lot's happened in 400 years here, too. Right? And here we are. Everyone's pretty much doing right in their own eyes. And some people, uh, you know, want a king who's going to fix everything. I'm not sure if there are any parallels there, but you can draw your own conclusions. Um, one thing I found was interesting is this concept that sometimes what is not God's ideal can still be God's plan. And we've seen this throughout Scripture, right? Uh, when Joseph was captured or sold into slavery by his brothers, we have that verse, right? What God, or what you intended for evil, God intended for good. So was it God's ideal for the nation to have a king? No. He wanted to have that connection through, you know, the biblical, I mean, through the, um, I guess, the covenantal relationship is what he wanted to have. And if all the tribes were together, covenanting together with God, then those victories were going to be fine. God would raise up a military leader as he needed to, and they would be fine. They would be cohesive because they were all sticking with the covenant. But yet, that didn't work, and as we'll see, they wanted a king. I had either not known or had forgotten that God knew this was going to happen. Turn quickly to Deuteronomy chapter 18. I'm sorry, uh, 17. Deuteronomy 17. And of course we've got um, teachings um, about what to do and what not to do. Verse 8 talks about some legal stuff. Verse 14, listen to this. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you and you possess it and dwell in it and you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose, one from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. So even though having a king for the nation was not God's ideal, even back then it was part of his plan. So one of the big themes of the books of First and Second Samuel is this transition from to kind of continue that, you know, what's What's the big story? God wants relationship with his people. Under that, God sometimes has changed the nature of that relationship with his people from one-on-one -on -one to um, 
via a big leader like Moses or Joshua, through the judges and the priests, and now to a king. The big idea is God wants a relationship with his people, but in First and Second Samuel, it talks about that transition from the time of the judges to the time of the kings. So that's one of the big ideas. Um, so back then, um, things were not going well, and they looked to an earthly king to um, fix their problems rather than looking to God to fix their problems. Here we are, 3,000 years later. <laughs> we really can't talk bad about the Israelites, right? I mean, we just really can't. We owe them a big apology um, for this. Um, I, read, I think I've said it before, we're uh, chronological snobs, right? Uh, we think we're so much better than them. But here we are, um, 3,000 years later, uh, wanting a king to get us out of our problems when the answer is always... God, right? The answer is, you know, let's follow his rules. Let's do what he says. And that's where the benefit's going to come. So um, that brings us up uh, to where we'll start uh, next week. Um, we're, we're moving from judgeship to kingship. Um, we're moving from earthly king. And in the back of your mind, of course, all of Christmas has been us waiting for a king, right? A king who, you know... Well, Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of what the nation of Israel was really asking for. They didn't really know what they needed. They'd really, they just know what they wanted. Um, God ultimately has given his people what they needed in the form um, of the ultimate king, uh, who is Jesus. So we'll learn about Samuel. We'll learn about Saul. We'll learn about David. Uh, we'll interact with the Philistines. We'll see some cool history and all those great stories that sometimes show up um, uh, in children's Bibles. Um, it's fun reading, um, but keep that big idea in mind that these are all ways that God has wanted to interact with his people because um, he loves us and has always been trying to bring us closer. All right. All right, well, we'll close. Um, any final comments? All right. Father, we thank you for uh, these books, uh, these accounts of the way that you dealt with your people. We thank you that right here at the very end, we've been able to be grafted into this big story of yours, and we are so, so grateful. Uh, be with us in these coming days and um, uh, help us to look to the true king uh, to fix our problems and uh, to bring us closer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody.